to be honest, that there are times where I've lost a little bit of hope, um, not knowing whether what I'm doing is having an impact or not. But when I discovered Bitcoin, I found something that I felt was so much bigger and so wide and already so widely adopted that kind of felt like my effort is just a drop in the bucket, but the bucket is being filled by, by thousands and millions of other people, you know, putting their drops in the same bucket. And, and I, I feel like that's a bucket that can be filled up. Uh, to the extent where it can actually make a real difference on a on a global scale. Welcome to the Progressive Bitcoiner podcast, where we explore the intersection of Bitcoin and progressive issues. I'm your host, Mark Stefani. My guests today are Irman Vivier of Bitcoin Akasi and the not-for-profit Surfer Kids and his head surfing coach, Luthando in Nambambi. Together, they are bringing Bitcoin to their township in South Africa, where it is not only serving as a medium of exchange, but also a means to save their hard-earned money. Herman and Lutando's stories are not only inspiring, but also bring to life the everyday use cases of Bitcoin. Thank you so much for listening. Please enjoy this episode. Herman and Lutando, thank you so much for joining me on the Progressive Bitcoiner podcast. I'm so happy to have you both here. Good to be here. Wonderful. Well, thank you for joining us. Herman, please tell us, what was the path that led you to Mazel Bay, starting a tourism business, and ultimately starting the Surfer Kids not-for-profit? Yeah, it was a, a bit of a fluke that I ended up here. Um, my wife and I met in Amsterdam. And uh, we decided to move back to South Africa after we, we got married. And um, we were living in Cape Town, which is uh, a relatively large city. And um, yeah, I just got tired of city life and we looked for a smaller, more quiet place to go. And um, this was one of the places that was far enough away from Cape Town so that you really felt like you got away from the city, but still close enough that, you know, you, 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 you don't feel like you're absolutely in the middle of nowhere so um yeah we just by by some you know fortunate coincidence we found a little place to rent here in the area and it was a very impulsive decision and uh, we ended up moving here and um we didn't really know what to do with ourselves after we did so we figured well we better start making a plan to 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 make a living and um i had a little bit of experience in the hospitality industry uh we both enjoyed traveling and uh, my wife had some contacts in Russia and the sort of tourism market in Russia was just beginning to open up uh, to South Africa. And she contacted a few people and they, they were interested to come and look at the place. And yeah, there were very, very few people catering for the Russian market. So we kind of found a little niche. Uh, there weren't many Russian tour guides. There was zero companies um, offering surf trips for Russians in South Africa when we started. So we were, we were the first people to bring Russian surfers into, into South Africa. So we had a bit of a niche market and from there just kind of grew. And one of the elements that you wanted to add to your tourism business was a little bit off the beaten path element to actually experience uh, South Africa outside of the walls, so to speak, as you described. Can you tell us a little bit more about that distinction? 
Yeah, South Africa is a is a very divided country. Um, it's it's one of the most unequal societies globally. So there's there's a very very rich um, portion of the country, and then a very very large poor and very very poor portion of the country. So there's there's very few places in the world where I've been where inequality is this high. Um, but but the difference between some other places like India, where you also have massive inequality, is that there it's in your face, whereas in South Africa it's it's hidden from view. So, you know, I generally summarize it by saying, you know, the wrong people live on the wrong side of the highway, and you don't necessarily get to see those people unless you actually make an effort to go into the areas that you would normally avoid. So it's very easy for a tourist to come to South Africa and not actually see the largest part of the country. Um, it's very easy for them to feel like they are in a warm version of Europe when they visit South Africa. So this is part of the reason why we started the nonprofit. We we wanted to give the people that come on our trips, on our tourism holidays, we, we wanted to give them something that's a little bit more authentic and, and show them a, a part of the country that they might otherwise miss. Let me ask you then, Lutando, what was your first impression of Herman when you met? <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, the time I met first Herman, he was calling me on the interview. But uh, I did think with Herman like he is a good person and then he is trying to change his life in the township I'm living now because I did see a lot of people they are changing and then I'm so lucky to meet Herman in my life. Thank you. Thank you. Cool, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Herman, so you're 10 years into the Surfer Kids and your your hospitality business. What continues to motiv- motivate you? I, 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 to be honest, I've asked myself that same question quite a few times and sometimes I don't know. Um, you know, it's it's just I I can't I can't stand to look at a world that that seems unfair, and I know that the world is in many ways sort of inherently unfair because there's there's so many things that there are there are so many problems that seem so large and incomprehensibly complex that it's you know most. Most of the time, one would assume it's it's impossible to to change something about it, but I just I just can't accept that answer. For me, there 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 has to be a way to do something about it. Why I have that urge, I I don't quite know. I, I can't precisely explain that. It's it's something that I that I kind of just feel I have to do, and I think I've been more motivated since discovering bitcoin because that's the one thing that i've i i I have been to be honest that there are times where i've lost a little bit of hope um not knowing whether what i'm doing is having an impact or not but when i discovered bitcoin i found something that i felt was so much bigger and so wide and already so widely adopted that kind of felt like my effort is just a drop in the bucket, but the bucket is being filled by, by thousands and millions of other people, you know, putting their drops in the same bucket. And, and I, I feel like that's a bucket that can be filled up 
uh, to the extent where it can actually make a real difference on a, on a global scale. You've described surfing as a means for personal empowerment. Can you share a few stories of these personal empowerment episodes in action? Yeah, I mean, look, surfing is really difficult. Um, it's, it's, it's a really difficult skill to, to learn. So, you know, I've seen, I've seen a lot of the kids gain a lot of confidence so, so that's the one thing. That's the one thing that the children often lack, especially when they're in the presence of of other people who might otherwise look down on them. But if they show up with this skill, and they can showcase that skill, then that 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 fills them with a, a sense of confidence that you'd only get if you know that you're really good at something and you're good at something that isn't easy to learn and. So I've seen this on, on a few occasions, for example, when we take the children to, to national um, surfing events, you know, where they would mingle with other kids that come from completely different backgrounds, you know. I mean, we, we work with kids, you know, some of them that don't, don't live in proper houses. Um, some of them don't, don't get more than uh, the meals that we give them. Um, and then they mingle with kids who come from, 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 from mansions and, and very wealthy backgrounds. And, in, in ordinary circumstances, there would be a big divide between them, but but because they've got the skill and they their skill level is at a at an equal sort of level that they've they've got that there's that respect for each other and that that's quite that's quite amazing to see um, in those circumstances. Luthando, would you agree with what Herman has said? Yes, I do agree what Herman did say because also me I was living. Difficult, like I did grow up in that kind of life and money just because uh, at my house where my parents were struggling to, to to feed us, like sometimes sleep with empty stomach, like yes, I do agree with what the man said because I did experience all that stuff because I'm living in the same township where the kids they are living. Herman, do you see a connection between surfing facilitating personal empowerment and Bitcoin? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look, Bitcoin is, is all about um, teaching, you know, personal, personal responsibility. You've got to, you know, it starts, it starts with this um, phrase that Bitcoin is love to repeat, which is not your keys, not your coins. Um, and it, it, it kind of, it kind of encourages you to, to take responsibility for something, or at least, at least think about that responsibility because Bitcoin introduces the possibility for you to take responsibility, to, to take custody of your, of your money. Whereas before, norm, normally people wouldn't even think about that. So that, that idea of, of responsibility is, um, is, is core to Bitcoin. And then with surfing, it's, it's very similar because, you, it's, because it's such a difficult thing to learn. There's nobody else that's going to, to teach you that. Ultimately, it's about showing up. Um, you know, it's, it's the same as if you were, were, were studying at university for a degree. Um, the quality of the education is one thing, but at the end of the day, it's about you showing up. And if you don't show up, then no matter how good your professor is, you're not going to earn that qualification. So it, it, it encourages that, that, that self-responsibility, that, that personal responsibility. Before we get into uh, Bitcoin Akasi, Something I want to touch on because I think it relates to your experience. 
Erman, you've undoubtedly experienced a period of loss of empowerment and then eventually gaining it back. You are in recovery, I believe, eight years now. And you have said, quote, those who enter recovery do not do so by choice. They are typically pushed as a matter of last resort, a matter of survival. So I'm wondering what allowed you to crawl out from that rock bottom? When did you recognize that you could not, quote, solve your own problem? I think it was my wife that gave me an ultimatum. <laughs> she, uh, she, she got to a point, well, I mean, we, we got to a point where she said, look, either, either you go and ask somebody for help or I'm going to go and ask somebody for help. And um, I felt way too embarrassed to have my wife show up on my behalf. So I very reluctantly um, ended up going to a meeting um, talking to fellow addicts and uh, kind of just asking them like, look, what, what do I do about this? I can't, I can't stop using. Um, I want to stop using, but I can't. Um, yeah. So, so I, I, I guess, I guess it was at the end of the day, I, I wanted to, I, I didn't want to lose my marriage and that was more valuable to me than, than hanging on to, to using. And so I, I went for that for that reason uh, initially. I mean, I, I eventually ended up staying for myself because uh, the effects were just incredible. But yeah. Well, to that end, I want to share something that you've written, uh, which I think is a beautiful sentiment uh, that that leads us into, uh, I believe, probably the reason why you started Bitcoin Akasi. You say, because the mind of the addict is the source of the problem. It is also incapable of finding its own solution. Recovery demands guidance from an incorruptible source, a source that can be internalized, but which cannot be contained internally in its entirety. What is Bitcoin if not a system of monetary rules that lies beyond the will of any one single individual, group, or government to change as they see fit? And yet, Bitcoin is a system which has its fate held in the hands of both anyone and everyone at the same time. I think that is such a beautiful sentiment. Thank you for writing it. <laughs> Thanks, man. Did you have this feeling, this this mindset prior to starting Bitcoin Akasi? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've been in recovery for eight years. I've been clean one day at a time for four years. Um, and I, I very quickly, no, well, not very quickly. It took, you know, addicts are are notoriously stubborn people. Um, <laughs> but I, it, it, it was eventually pointed out to me that, look, if you want to find recovery and, and freedom from, from addiction, um, because I, I was compelled to use on a daily basis, I could not live without using multiple times a day. And it was pointed out to me in the meetings by people who had many years experience in recovery that, your way of doing things is what got you here in the first place. So if you're not open to suggestions, then, then this is not going to, to work. You've got to, you've got to open yourself up to, to a suggested, a, a suggested alternative, um, an, an alternative that, that is far bigger, um, than, than your own, your own conception of, of what you think might be necessary. And, and that, that was sure that was probably around 2017. Um, so, uh, but when started four years later, so I definitely carried that sentiment 
um, with me into Bitcoin Ikasi. Before you jump into telling us about Bitcoin Ikasi, was it the experience of El Salvador and Bitcoin Beach that ended up being the impetus for you to, to start it? Or was there a grain of, of desire before even hearing about Bitcoin Beach? Um, no, there was certainly a grain of desire. Um, I, I was introduced to Bitcoin by, by a good friend of mine in, in 2013. And it was as a result of the banking crisis in Cyprus. And that struck me as being very unfair. Um, my wife is Russian and the, the, the banking crisis in Cyprus was framed around this idea that most of the people who lost their deposits to bail out the banks were Russian criminals. And I thought to myself, well, okay, fair enough. But there were some people who lost deposits who were not criminals. And they also lost their deposits. And that, that seems very unfair because anybody that had a certain amount in the bank over a certain limit got a haircut on their deposits overnight. And then it was sort of like serendipitous that at the same time, this friend introduced me to Bitcoin. And I thought to myself, well, here's a system that's fair. You know, it treats everybody the same way. Nobody gets to decide what the rules are. So I've been, and, and you know, since then, I've been very motivated to, to try and learn everything I can about it. So I've always wanted to, to do something with Bitcoin, but I never, I never really knew what I could do with it. Um, I always wanted to encourage people to check this thing out, look at it, because I, I thought to myself, like, wow, this is the first thing that I can, this, this is the first and the only thing that I could find that's, that's really fair, you know. Nobody can, can corrupt it for their own personal, personal gain, no matter how powerful they are. So, but it, I, I didn't really know what to do with it until, until I heard an interview with Michael Peterson in, in 2019. And when I heard that interview, I was like, okay, that's interesting. That's, that's, that's a way that you could actually help spread adoption. Um, because ultimately, Bitcoin is only going to deliver on its promise if it gets adopted by, by many more people uh, than what is currently using it. Uh, if it. If it just remains a speculative asset, then it's not really going to do what it, what it could. Um, so yeah, it was definitely the, the Bitcoin Beach example that, that sort of, I, I guess the spark was always there, but then when I heard that interview, it was kind of like, okay, then it just like illuminated the possibility. Um, I hadn't really thought about that possibility uh, the way they, they implemented it until then. So tell us about Bitcoin Akasi. Tell us about the, the ecosystem that you've built, that Luzando and the other coaches and the shop owners have built. And then I'll get your impression next, Luzando. Well, before I say anything, I think Lutando is actually the guy who's built most of the infrastructure in, in, in the township. He's the one who's onboarded the shops. I just, all, all I really did was I brought, I brought the, the sort of the, the Bitcoin background into the picture. And then I sort of, I, I feel like I, I kind of just gave Lutando and the coaches the, the necessary knowledge to go out into the township and onboard the shop. So so they're the guys that have really done most of the, all the, the, the sort of hard work on the ground with getting the shops on board. Um, and so we've got five shops at the moment. And the, the last two shops that Lutando onboarded, I was, I've, I've not even met the shop owners. Um, that's all 
him and, and the coaches. Nice work, Lutando. When you first heard about Bitcoin yourself, did it, did it make sense to you why it would be beneficial to you? Did it make sense right away or did it take some time to learn more about it? Uh, I can say you will take time know about the, about Bitcoin because I still need more education. And man is, is still giving me some education and I, I do some research on my own. And also, I uh, still need more education, what I can say, like, but when I meet the shop owners, I show what a man already taught me to do. You see, like, buying, like, uh, food on Petrofield, on restaurants, showing them, okay, Bitcoin is something, like, real. Because some of people here in my township, they think, like, it's a scam. Because there was a lot of scam happening here. But I that showed them, okay, this is real. I can buy you anything you want. And then making them believe that. So the shop owners, their their barrier to understanding is ensuring that it is real, first and foremost. Is that correct? Yes, yes, yes. I buy something and then they say, okay, this is real. This is the real money. And then I make them example about fiat money, like, they know, okay, this is real. Because fiat money, sometimes you lose value. In Bitcoin, you get, like, it's getting value. Aside from first understanding that Bitcoin is a real money, why do they think Bitcoin is important after you show them that it's real? Okay, what what what, what I explained to the shop owners, because they sell products in their shop. And then every time products, they're getting, like, they are getting expensive. And then they can see that, okay, the money is, is like is using value and then i tell them about the government is also printing with the time government is printing more money our currency is losing value and then they just believe that because they see in their stuff you know, they are making shopping every day so the the fact that they can't be printed more the inflation resistance what we say uh, part of bitcoin that's important yeah yes uh, lutando i have another question for you Tell me more about the misconception that people who do not earn a lot of money don't want to save money. I think that's certainly a sentiment that is put forth, certainly from the West. And from what I've heard uh, Erman uh, discuss, that that is certainly not the case. So from your experience, where does that misconception come from that people who do not earn a lot of money uh, don't want to save either? Oh, okay. Because... You see the money they are they are getting, they can't save the money because they are paying less money in their work. And then they have kids, more kids, like they have to feed their kids. They can't keep money for the kids for the future. But Bitcoin, I can see Bitcoin is easy. And then now you can buy a small sets like Tran, Bitcoin, start saving. But people they are believing here, yeah, like you can start saving with 1,000, something like that, more money. But in Bitcoin, you can save more money and then in future, you can help your kids. That's why people like, many people here, yeah, they are, they like to drink, like spending their money, wasting their money, like uh, using drugs, like, but here in, the town, in this township, Bitcoin can change people's lives a lot. Do you think the ability to save changes their 
outlook for the future? Does it give them hope? Yes, it can give them hope because man did give me a spreadsheet, something like when they, like after every four years, Bitcoin is getting like value, a lot of value. And then also that's why I show them the people, I'm educating them like friends. I show them how Bitcoin is important to use than saving to the fiat money. Herman, what is your impression of that um, misconception of people not wanting to save? We don't earn a lot. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, look, I, I, I think it's a misconception, um, but it's also, it's, it's got some, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not that people don't want to save. It's just that people have never had access to a form of savings that, that allows you to put small amounts in at a time. Right, perfect. So there's there, there's a new service that launched in in South Africa not so long ago, and it, it's actually allowed people to now buy Bitcoin over the Lightning Network for as little as uh, two rand in the local currency, which is less than twenty US dollar cents at a time. So you could literally go to the grocery store and the coins that you get in change, convert that straight into Bitcoin tiny amounts at a time, not the kind of amount that's going to cause any uh, pain and suffering if the price drops, but the kind of amount that if you hold on to it for long enough could make a difference one day. Um, and and so being able to, to save in something that has this promise of future reward built into it, um, I think that's what's really appealing to people because I don't think people in poor communities have ever had the ability to buy something that it can be explained and it can be proven to them with a track record that, look, this thing is actually designed to accumulate wealth and value to itself. There's, there's never been anything else that they've been able to buy in, in such small amounts. Um, so I think that's, that's probably the primary motivating factor that we're working with at the moment. So the key differentiation there is those small amounts, which you ordinarily could not save in the uh, RAND, with Bitcoin Satoshis, over time, that can become a significant amount. Is that correct? Yes. I think that's what, I think that's what attracts people to, to it. It's, it's this idea that, okay, I can, I, can put a, I can put away a little bit of money and uh, if I if if I just hang on to it, then it'll mean something in the future. Um, the The inflation numbers in South Africa are not shockingly high, but there has been uh, between twenty five and thirty percent inflation over the last four years, which is also not great. I mean, it's it's a considerable amount, um, you know, uh, and and I think that inflation is felt even more in, in communities where people live on a day-to-day basis from one paycheck to the next. Because it's in, it's in those types of communities where the majority of their paycheck would go towards essentials like food. Um, and it's normally food prices that skyrocket before anything else. So I think they, I think they have, on, on a sort of a intuitive level, have a better understanding, a real-world understanding of inflation. Um, than, than people in more privileged communities who tend to feel the effects of inflation in other ways, but not in ways that actually threaten their survival. Um, so this idea that you can actually inflation-proof your savings is, is probably uh, what's, what's motivating people 
uh, for the most part at the moment. I think the hesitations that the township would have towards somebody trying to pitch Bitcoin uh, to them would seem pretty apparent at, at face value. So I, I'm curious to know actually what you personally uh, had as far as hesitations about bringing Bitcoin to the township. What were your reservations? Um, my, my personal reservations were that um, I've, I've learned I've learned the hard way that if you want to help a person, it's more difficult to help people than, than the average person believes it to be. If you want to help somebody, you have to be very, very careful not to create a relationship of dependency. If you want to really help somebody, when you step away one day, that person needs to be in a better position without your presence. Uh, because eventually you have to step away if you're helping somebody. If you're helping somebody and it becomes a relationship of dependence where when you step away one day, they're worse off than when you first came into their life, then, then it's not really helping a person. So there's this old saying, you know, if you want to feed somebody for a day, you give them a fish. If you want to feed them for a lifetime, you teach them how to fish. Um, and and I, it basically comes down to that. And I think, I think what I learned the hard way was that one cannot go into these communities and just start handing out stuff. You can't just go out and, and, and hand out things because, because it creates the expectation that you've got an infinite amount of resources that you're simply willing to give away. Uh, and that was certainly not the case for me. It's still not the case for me. And so there, there has to be a sort of a learning process attached. And that's quite, that's quite a, a delicate balance to maintain. Um, so we do give the children things in the program. So we feed them. They get food on a daily basis. We support them with clothes. Um, we, we give them stuff. But, but it's always been about the things that we give the person is sort of attached to this learning process. It's not just handed over um, so we, we would feed the kids but they understand that we're feeding them because they put the effort in to actually surf that day that that sort of thing so i was i was quite hesitant bringing bitcoin to the community because i i i, I understood that we had to find a way to to bring that element into it as well if if we just went around and, and started handing out bitcoin then that could end up backfiring um, in a way that i've i've seen happen before so a question that I have for the, the two of you, what does Bitcoin and Kasi look like in five years, in 10 years? I think Lutando should go first. <laughs> okay, okay. Let me answer this question. Uh, I want to see a lot of people in, in my township using Bitcoin. Everyone is buying Bitcoin in Parashop and everyone is saving Bitcoin. And many people they can make like Lot of money, like losing money on their bank, like charge, charge bank charges, something like that. Bitcoin can change a lot of lot of people's life here in my township because I can see that. But they need more education. I'm gonna keep giving them a lot of education. That's what I'm thinking about ten years to come. That's my dream to see everyone in my township using Bitcoin and buying clothes with Bitcoin. That's what I want to see in 10 years. Wonderful. Erman? Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I think Lutando summed it up. I think the, 
in, in five years from now, I'd like to see um, the vast majority, if not everyone, uh, in that township uh, using Bitcoin. Because I've, I've, seen, I've seen the effects that, it's, that, that it can have on people's lives. Um, you know, it's, I, I, would like to see, I would like to see Bitcoin contribute to the economic development of that area. Um, what I would really like to see is to see the township area be developed into an area that actually attracts people to that area. Because in South Africa, a township is a place that as if, 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 if you are not from the township, you don't go there unless you really, really have to. Like you don't, you don't drive into a South African township and, and see people walking around that are not from there. The idea of tourism in a township is, is, is a very foreign, foreign idea. The, the idea of development, um, you know, sort of a, a, a private investment, that sort of thing, is, it, it, it doesn't really happen. Sometimes government has some development programs in the townships, but, but not, not, not on a private uh, individual level. So this is something I'd like to see change. I'd like to see the real economic development happen there coming from the private sector, um, you know, the development of, 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 of hotels or bed and breakfasts or um, just, you know, business being attracted to that area because it's typically a township is a place that does not attract business or money to it. It's something where people, people would rather run away from the township than run towards it. And so if we can flip that on its head and make this township a place where people want to run towards that, that would be awesome because it's got the location for that. I mean, I, I, I post photos on Twitter and people sometimes can't believe the location of this township. It's got one of the most incredible views that you could imagine. It, you know, it's got this 180 degree uninterrupted ocean view. Um, it's almost unimaginable that, that somebody wouldn't want to live there because it's, it's elevated, it's high up. You're looking out over a beautiful bay um, over the Indian Ocean. Um, the sunset and the sunrises are incredible. Uh, so it's, it's got the location for that to happen. Um, but we'd have to flip that narrative on its head and make the township the, the place that people want to be, not want to get away from. Luthando, I have a few questions for you. Uh, you're the senior coach, correct? Yes. What do you most like about being a coach? What I like being a coach is that like, uh, I face like, like the kids, uh, like they taught me, like uh, I can hang everyone because they have different mind. And then I deal with the junior coaches, teach them how to work. Like if they are doing wrong things, I always guide them in the right way, like showing them. Like I take them like my own my own kids, like something like that, showing them like how life is be, how the program like can change their lives if they stay there in the program, doing right thing in their life, focusing their students in, in their studies and showing them like how life like if like I'm making an example about me because I was living here for like the whole my life like since I was six, I come here and then live here in Mosulbay and then our, they have good opportunity to have this program as for kids. And like, I wish like that time our, there was a, for kids, a program like this, 
like you go like without paying money and then show them like I was playing soccer every time if you go somewhere I have to pay money but here you don't pay anything just for we try to find some donations to make their life easy uh, I can say it's what like uh, like to being close to guide those kids going the right way how do you keep the kids motivated to learn what are your secrets oh, okay my secret is like uh, I was I was having friends like when I was young I did see a lot of my friends did die and some of them they end up to prison and then I keep telling the kids some of them they are using drugs and then what I like the most some of the kids that we are I'm coaching them they are also in the school in the they are going in the school that I was going like primary school and then the education I didn't get the right like computers I don't have computers experience of working computers and then they the safer kids we give them those that chance to work with computers and then now we have a teacher there that is looking after them education them because the education in the government school is not is not like it is very poor it's not like in the pre like the same like private school because they they like a lot in the school that's what i keep motivating them like they must not doing wrong things in the township and then they must focus in their studies and then i did see that example did work in our one of our junior coaches, Lukangele. That kid is a nice kid, he likes me a lot. And then he always come here to my house to stay sometimes. And then he like asking me some question if like he had a problem in his house, unlike his father. You're a teacher, you're a coach. You have one of the most important jobs in the world. Yes, yes. 10, 20 years from now, these kids are gonna find you and they were going to tell you that that one moment out in the ocean when you didn't give up on them and you got them back on the board was a moment that they never forgot and it inspired them to keep pushing to keep striving and they will they will have accomplished because of the the effort and motivation that you gave them so keep it up yes yes they i i do have one more bitcoin related question before uh, i let you go with my final question Herman, uh, it would, would appear that the uh, South African government is proposing uh, some new uh, crypto rules requiring KCA, KYC AML. Uh, and you've, you've certainly pushed back on this, saying that it might affect marginalized communities. Tell us some more about um, the proposed regulation and, and how you feel about it. Yeah, I mean, look, I, 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 I sometimes struggle to, to understand where the motivation well i i understand where the motivation for government to want to do this comes from because they want to protect people and and with regards to kyc aml you know that those things it's it 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 is certainly designed to protect people but it it unfortunately it, it has an effect on on people who can least afford it um and so adding these rules don't make it too difficult for people who are already in the system to keep up with these new rules but you know we've 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 got actual first hand experience of of how difficult it becomes 
to open something like a basic savings account at a bank because of stricter and stricter rules. So, and I think, you know, my, my sort of reply to, to the, this push from government has always been the same. And it's basically just that I, I think there should be a, a threshold below which the KYC AML requirements should be almost non-existent. Because at the end of the day, what you're looking to avoid is you're looking to avoid giving people who want to move large amounts of money and to use that for, for nefarious purposes. You want to take that opportunity away from those people. But that's always going to be large amounts of money. People who are funding terrorist operations are not going to be doing it with, with um, you know, $10, $20 payments at a time. It's going to be funded through through large payments. So I I don't quite understand why there's this push to to apply these KYC AML things across the board um, as if everybody has to be treated the same way. I mean, surely one can can structure it so that if you're talking about larger amounts, it it becomes more necessary. Whereas for smaller amounts. You know, if 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 I'm going to go to a bank and I, I'm asking the bank to open a savings account for me, and there's some problem with my paperwork, they should open that account for me on the condition that I'm not going to be moving above a certain amount of money through that account over a certain period of time. And if I do start moving more money than that, then they should come back to me and say, "Okay, look, you're now crossed the threshold. Let's get some more paperwork." But that's not been our experience. Our experience is that, and I. I just feel like these rules are always moving to constrict things more and more and more. It's never moving in the opposite direction. It's, it's never making things easier and more accessible. It's unfortunately always making things more constricted. And, you know, and I mean, I, you know, I, I don't want to drag the answer out too long, but we've had, an, there's, there's one particularly interesting um, situation, which is very personal for us, where we've had one of our junior coaches who, he hasn't been able to open a bank account and we've been struggling for a year and a half to get an account open for him. And the reason why he can't open an account is because of some, uh, a, a typo, basic, basically a spelling mistake on his birth certificate where his birth certificate and his mother's birth certificate does not align. So now the bank doesn't want to open an account for him because of essentially what comes down to a spelling mistake. Getting those papers fixed at the local um, government department that's responsible for issuing those papers is, is an absolute nightmare. Um, so we, we eventually ended up paying him in cash, but that money was being extorted out of him. So stronger, older, more experienced family members were, were taking that from him because it's in physical cash. They could do that. They could manipulate that out of him. And so... For him, it's been an incredible experience switching his salary over to Bitcoin because there was no need to, to open a bank account. He could, he could open the account on his phone by simply downloading an app, opening a wallet. And they haven't been able to take that money from him. His salary now belongs to him. The money that he's earning and working for now belongs to him. Um, and this is something, he's not, he's not earning a lot of money. I mean, this is enough to buy basic groceries, nothing more than that. Um, he's not going to be funding terrorist operations with his salary, I can assure, can assure you of that. But because, because of Bitcoin, basically because of Bitcoin um, and the shortcomings of, of, of the legacy financial system, 
and thanks to Bitcoin, he's been able to now keep his salary and use it for what for, for, for what he wants to use it rather than what he's being manipulated to do with it before. Well, I don't know if there's a stronger endorsement for why Bitcoin than that story. So thank you for sharing it. My final question for the two of you is what gives you hope? And we will give Uthando the final word. So Irman, please, what gives you hope? Um, what what gives me hope? Um, yeah, I, I, I think my own recovery gives me hope. Um, I I frame my entire life, my entire existence, and, and perhaps this is basically coming back to the question you asked me at the beginning. But I, I think actually when it comes down to it, I frame I, I frame my entire existence in terms of recovery because I wouldn't be I wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for for recovery. Um, you know, if if I was still using uh, drugs on a daily basis, I, I wouldn't be sitting here. I wouldn't have a family, and I certainly wouldn't be running this project. Prior to recovery, I never thought it's possible. I, I I never for a moment believed that it's possible to not want to get high and waste it on a daily basis. Um, I thought maybe it's possible to abstain, but I always thought that that would be a a drag and it would be really difficult and. I never thought it's possible to find recovery where being sober is actually a, 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 a joy, a pleasure. Um, and, and through recovery, um, that, that's the reality of my life today. So that, that, that gives me hope. To, to have experienced that kind of change makes me believe that there must be a way to introduce a similar change on a wider scale. And, and I think that it's possible through Bitcoin. Uh, I, I, I believe it is because of, because of the structure of how Bitcoin is put together. Yeah, I'll jump in here for a quick aside. Please forgive me. But if you haven't written already, I think there's such an incredible parallel between surfing, personal empowerment, and what Bitcoin can teach you. So that's your homework for this podcast is to write that. <laughs> Luthando, please, what gives you hope? Okay, what gives me hope is is working for the safer kids. And you can see like that and then you make me unable to save. I can save today because of the safer kids. And then like saving like, to me like uh saving is life. In the time like I was not good like to trusting myself that I can do a lot of things like like I was always doubting myself no I can't do this but after I learned to serve I did achieve a lot of things like driving license uh, like saving coaches like a lot of things in my life just changed after that like I don't drink anymore now I'm always at my house and something really changed my life. And then I can say that working for the Stefan Kids is really a thing to me. It's a blessing for the life. And then I'm going to keep it like that. I'm going to be committed in my work I'm doing for my community and helping the kids. So I like to be a role model to the kids. That's what gave me hope. Well, the two of you are an inspiration. Uh, certainly to me, and I have no doubt to uh, my audience. I thank you so much for sharing your stories, 
for doing what you're doing, for being the coach that you are, Luthando, and for being the founder of these two beautiful organizations. Herman, I appreciate it. Please tell the listeners where they can find out about uh, Bitcoin Akasi and Surfer Kids. Thank you. Uh, thank, thanks for those kind words. Um, uh, yeah, Bitcoin Akasi has a website, uh, bitcoinakasi.com. So that's Bitcoin ekasi.com um you can also find us on twitter um and the surfer kids also has its own website which is the surferkids.com t-h-e-s-u-r-f-e-r-k-i-d-s.com please if you're listening consider donating to uh bitcoin akasi the surfer kids there is a um, qr code a lightning donation uh, on the website uh, it's easy to donate so please do Thanks again for joining us. This was fantastic. I really appreciated all your, everything you had to say. I could have been on the, the line here for uh, several hours chatting about everything. So once again, thank you very much. Cool. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. Thank you too.